Welcome, everyone, to the A Better Way to a Podcast. We are your hosts, Jordan and Andrew. And tonight, on this late night episode, we are lucky enough to have Alyssa Azar with us. She is a self-proclaimed gonzo journalist, uh, which means she gets right up in there. And you were actually... Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in layman's terms, unless I'm completely wrong on that. But no, <laughs> and uh, you do a ton of really good work covering mainly right wing violence in the Pacific Northwest. We just found out about. I think we just found out about each other because when I introduced myself, you were like, "Oh, cool, yeah, I have a whole bunch of your shit." And then it turns out that it was just off color decals stuff, and you and you thought it was. <laughs> Which is awesome to get confused with them because they're great. But yeah, I'm super impressed by the stuff that you have on your Instagram. Active, you've been doing the most recent stuff with everything that's going on in Palestine and Israel right now. And then what we were talking about earlier with the Proud Boys and whatnot. This is, you're doing a lot and it is super cool to have you on. So thank you for coming on here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm honored and yeah, I appreciate your very kind words and support. Also a big fan of you now that I've discovered you. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Always really grateful for, I guess just to put it simply, just a leftist gun culture presence. I think so many people are just so shocked when they find out that's a thing. <laughs> so super rad. It's funny because we've had this conversation before where we've been labeled as kind of like leftist gun people. And never really came out and said that, but purely for the reasons that we think gun rights are for everyone and support people like trans people's right to own guns, people have declared us leftist gun owners. And I have no problem with it, to be honest, because if that's cool, then if that's how that works, then that's awesome. You know, I'm happy to be called whatever. Gun rights are for everybody. Every right is for everybody. And, you know, I think just if being consistent in that idea makes us a leftist, then that is what it is. Andrew calls himself a uh, small L libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> small just, L libertarian. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially these days, I really am a libertarian, but the term itself kind of comes with a lot of baggage. And it's very funny sometimes to be a libertarian and talk about being a libertarian, but also to be like, no, I'm not, I'm not like those other libertarians, you know? No, I'm a cool libertarian, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, I'm totally not racist, I promise. And I don't know. I've never really considered myself a leftist, but definitely most of the people I hang out with and talk to online are run the gamut from, like, leftist to, like, full-blown anarcho-communist. And mostly what I look for in my associations is anti-authoritarianism. Definitely. It's kind of funny, too, or funny and telling of the society that we live in that— you know, I, I come across a page like yours that's just, you know, accepting of human beings. And it's like, okay, well, just, you know, being human, being even a little bit humanitarian or, you know, wanting justice and freedom and liberation for all people. <laughs> that's, you know, that's what yeah. you're being labeled as. And I mean, yeah. no, it definitely is. People would even give much stronger words with <laughs> Deeper, harsher connotations. Yeah, for sure. Those people, no, we just, you know, we block those people out of yeah. the, uh, yeah. out you of the good to. vibes room. They're out. They're on the other side of the door. <laughs> good vibes only in this place. No, but it's true. When you're just like meeting this like basic 
criteria for being like a good and accepting human being. And someone's like, oh, that's leftism, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because the association with conservatism and like the far right is so bad. Yeah. Speaking of which, how did you get started doing what you do? So growing up, I always wanted to be a journalist, but very early on, I came to the realization that that's not going to happen, at least not in, you know, the typical sense how people usually see it. I would never hold back on my beliefs and who I am and, you know, my sense for justice. And I knew that I couldn't imagine any publication that would want to work with somebody that's not going to, I don't know, lie about their biases or be paid to say and believe and manipulate certain things. Tell a corporate line. Yeah, exactly. And... I don't know. I guess at one point I just got really tired of things being portrayed in a way that was just very different than what was actually happening on the ground. I got really tired of the good guys being demonized for wanting to fight back. Yeah, there was a point where I was just like, you know, fuck this. Like, you know, like I was saying, I was so, so tired and just infuriated by seeing anti-fascists dehumanize the way that they were for wanting to take care of their communities. Meanwhile, fascist groups were giving the green flag to do whatever they want, especially at the time a few years before 2020. Evidence surfaced of Portland police officers not just talking to proud boys, but, you know, they were working together. Oh, my God, shocker. Yeah, eventually I just kind of showed up and started saying what I wanted to say any way that I could. And I started on social media, you know, I was live tweeting, and I you know, still do live tweeting when I was on the ground, and just slowly grew from there. That's very gonzo. That's very gonzo. Yeah. You know, because, like, Hunter S. Thompson would, like, he would take jobs, right? The OG Gonzo journalist, he would like get paid to go do a thing, to go do a story. And then he'd get there and be like, no, this isn't the story. This isn't yeah. what's going on here. And then he'd just like fuck off and do whatever he wanted and then turn it in. And, you know, whoever was paying for the story would be like, okay, <laughs> I guess. But like, yeah. you got to imagine if he had like Facebook and Twitter back in his day that you know, his career trajectory would have been totally different. Oh, I I can't even imagine. Yeah. And, you know, it was so frustrating too, because like, let's take 2020, for example, because at the time, national, international news headlines everywhere, the protests that were happening, the uprising, even uh, Portland specifically was making national and international news because of the protests that were happening here. And these news crews would show up with these big ass fancy cameras they would never get closer than like, I don't know. There were times like during the Fed Wars and stuff where they would be blocks away trying to get their shots. They would never be in it. They would never, they would just show like shots from afar or they'd get the riot porn that they wanted, but they weren't getting in there and showing people like, okay, there's broken windows. Why are there broken windows? Why are people breaking windows? People are getting angry. Okay, why are they getting angrier after the police respond to a, quote, nonviolent crowd? Like, they just, they weren't saying any of that. And on top of that, when they put information in there, it would be nothing more than just parroting police reports. So I've noticed that, and it's 
interesting because I find myself having to take a step back when I'm reading articles about specifically police shootings because I'm usually quick to look for something from like, I try to look for like Associated Press, Reuters, BBC is actually pretty good. A lot of people don't like BBC, but like international stuff's tough because it doesn't cover a lot of local stuff unless it's really big. Like George Floyd was all over that kind of stuff. You know, I try to find something from a news station, but especially with these smaller news stations, you're 100% right. It's, you can go to 10 different websites for 10 different news organizations in like the Oregon area, and they'll all say the same thing. And it's all exactly like you said, parroted from a police report. It doesn't actually give any information. And I think that they're, you know, I think from one end, they're constrained because of liability reasons. Obviously, they don't want to say subjective information um, that somebody gave to them and have it be, you know, the wrong, wrong because it's a perspective and not a fact kind of thing. But also, it does leave a lot to be desired because I think a lot of people have questions and they're not answered from articles like that. So it is really cool that you do that because I, th- I think people more or less know the perspective that it's coming from when you're there and can decipher the information from that. But they can't get the perspective from the information that those news organizations are putting out if they want it. It only works one way. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, you're providing something that, that I don't think a lot of these organizations are and I don't think a lot of people do. Is there, I mean, you said you, because of what was happening in, in Portland, you know, you fell into this, but do you think that there is a need for people like you, obviously, but there's obviously a void also. Like there's, I don't know a ton of people who just go and report from inside these crowds like you do. Like, do you think this is something that people who consume news are like looking for? Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's needed. I... I want to be as replaceable as possible. And it's so easy, you know, it's, I don't do anything special, you know, I just go on the ground and I report what's actually happening. And it's crazy because you have these publications and different platforms that pay fucking thousands and millions of dollars for their propaganda and figuring out ways to set narratives and all that bullshit. When all I have to do is just be like, here's this video. And it shows you exactly what happened. There's nothing else that needs to be discussed about it. There's, yeah, I think there's a huge need for it. And I wish that there was more opportunities for journalists to be able to do this kind of work. And I think there would be a lot more people doing it if there was a space where people could actually do that and make a living. You know, I... I don't sell my footage. There's been times where I get asked for like big publications and stuff. They ask me if they can use my footage all the time. And I usually say no. I'll say yes if it's something where I'm like, no, this is important. I don't care. There's no way that you can spin this in whatever way you want to spin this. It speaks for itself. People should see this. That's happened on a handful of times, but I don't sell my footage. I don't make money from what I do. And on top of that, I do put myself in danger. And I also have a huge target on my back, both from law enforcement and from people on the far right and other people that just hate me because of either who I am or uh, what I believe. But I definitely think that there's a need for this. I know that there's a need for this. You know, I see what people say. I see the messages they send me. I've had people thank me because 
they thought one thing and they were introduced to my work in one way or another. And they went down that whole rabbit hole of kind of opening their eyes and being like, oh, holy shit. So that's what's going on. Okay. And I want to brag on you a little bit here. You say that you want to be as replaceable as possible, that you're not doing anything special. But it's, in my opinion, I've seen some of your interviews. I've seen some of this footage. I will say that formulating questions on the fly when you're talking to someone is not an easy thing to do, especially when you don't have the support and guidance of like a whole office of like proto-journalists and writing staff to sort of like guide the interview process and come up with like zeitgeist questions or whatever. Just like figuring out where you want your reporting to go is a skill. That is something that not everybody has that does have to be learned and trained. So I don't want to let you get away with just being like, you know, oh, I don't do anything special. <laughs> well, I appreciate that a lot. You know, what we'd appreciate is you going to patreon.com slash betterway2a and chucking $5 at us once a month or just once or more than $5 if you're feeling so generous. If you like the show or the episode or just us in general. I'm recording this on my phone right now because I thought to myself, who goes into a podcast episode hoping for the ad read to have music in the background? I don't really think that's a thing, but if it is a thing, sorry. Recording this on my way to Vermont for a two-gun competition, and uh, it's convenient. So if you go to our Patreon and subscribe and all that fun stuff, you will get access to exclusive content not seen anywhere else. That's what exclusive means, Jordan. And discount codes, exclusive merchandise, all that fun stuff, and the soul-warming feeling that you are supporting your favorite podcast and the people who make it. So that's that. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoy the episode and all that. Our guest was awesome. And check out that uh, link. Thanks. Back to the show. I think a lot of that also comes from kind of like what I said earlier is I'm a human being. I have biases because I'm a human being, but I'm open about them and I'm honest and upfront about them. And that doesn't make me any less capable of being able to report just report the objective truth of what's happening. Do I insert my opinions and stances sometimes? Yes. Do I do it all the time? No. But all these other publications, they have just, everyone is biased. There's no such thing as a human being that's unbiased just from choosing the questions that you're asking or setting people up in a certain way. These people have teams of people that's all <laughs> thoroughly thought through. Yeah, I feel like I'm ranting now and going away from the question. No, that's okay. You know, we live for the tangent on this show. Cool. I think we've talked about this before, I feel like, or at least I've mentioned it once or twice, that, you know, yeah, everyone's got bias. And I think the problem comes from not people who are biased reporting things, but people who don't admit their bias. In yeah, their or try to obfuscate it. Yes, exactly. Because it's like fine to have an opinion, right? But yeah. when you're like, when you're like trying to like guide a conversation without giving away like what your position is, that's when it becomes disingenuous to me. Exactly. We most recently, I feel like we've seen this a lot with, you know, in trans rights. We've seen people try to, and I guess, I don't know if I, yeah, there are a lot of disingenuous people out there who will use the, like the kid's excuse to mask their transphobia. I have also seen people who are like just totally ignorant to, they don't know any trans people and they have a friend who's like, yeah, they're trying to convert kids or whatever. And this person's just unfortunately a couple branches loose of a full tree kind of thing. And they're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm not going to think critically about this at all. And they just 
kind of go along with it and they're actually worried about the kids. But there are tons of, we've seen a ton of that where people have kind of like superficially legitimate arguments, but it's to seem legitimate and it's actually just to mask what they're actually feeling. And this is what I've said before, you know, I don't have a problem if somebody is like a racist as much as I don't like them as a person and their views, but I would rather them be open and upfront and be like, yeah, I'm a racist than try to say like, oh, okay, well, no, it's just, it's crime statistics this, or it's like single parent household this, and try to, like Andrew said, obfuscate it to make it sound like it's not racism. Oh, I prefer a blatant racist over a microaggressive liberal any day. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Any day of the week. And I'm saying this as a queer, non-binary Syrian woman. The comments, yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, and it's, I've told people before, grow some, I'm trying, I forgot the word I was just going to say there. Not balls. I was going to say grow some grow balls. Some there's a word. Genitals. Grow some uh, proverbial balls. That's the word I was looking for because there, I don't <laughs> want to assume anything, but if you're a racist, fucking say it. Like own that shit. You know, you're trying to be this big, tough person and assert your opinion into places where people don't want to hear it. Be open about it. You know, that's either <laughs> you're going to attract the people you want to attract and push away the people you want to push away. Everyone's better for it. And I like the people that are like, oh, we can't speak the truth in this society because then we'll just get canceled. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like oh, I believe I'm right and I stand by my opinion, but I can't say it because everyone will get pissed at me. It's like, doesn't that say something to you about like where you stand? Not that like society is always right. But like, yeah. I think if you're starting from a position of like, I need to be careful about what I say because everyone hates it. <laughs> I think maybe that's like, I, you know, just, it doesn't mean you're wrong necessarily, but just be a little more introspective. Yeah. Yeah. Read the room a little better, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's wild. And, you know, you were saying that you have a target on your back from people in the Proud Boys and from law enforcement. Why do you think that is? Is there... Feel free to, you know, share as much or as little as, as you want. I don't know if there was a specific thing or, or not, but do you think it's because you're portraying these people in a light that they don't want to be portrayed in? Or is there like some perceived victim mentality that they have where they're being taken advantage of? Like, why do you think these people, because my assumption is, is like, if they don't like you as a person, then they're going to not like you as a person. And that's what they want. They want to be open about like not liking you, you know, unless they're trying to hide something. But what do you think is the big issue that these people have with you just being in a place? Just like showing people your right to free doing. speech. Yeah. And recording them like it's it's your right to do so. <laughs> yeah. I think it's for a few different reasons. Yeah. Proud Boys and just people on the far right in general and cops. I've been called out by name by cops, not just in Oregon, but in when I went to Idaho for the first time, I got called out by name by cops. Like, you know how they try to do that sometimes to like flex. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know my name. Like you have the highest like surveillance technology in the country and you want to brag about knowing my name. Like that's the least you should know. Good for you. But I mean, A, I think <laughs> I'm... I'm not going to use queer because I don't think they all know I'm queer and I don't think I'm like queer presenting, however you want to describe that. But I'm a woman and I'm Syrian and automatically that just makes me such an easy target for them, which is laughable because that's such low hanging fruit. But I think there's also a lot of a lot of what you said, obviously, 
my footage shows the truth, which shows them in a really bad light. But if you don't want to be shown in a bad light, maybe don't be a fascist piece of shit. Hey, isn't that weird? As a first start. <laughs> Whoa. But also, I, I think it's weird because a lot of the times when they're harassing me or threatening me, when it's not online, when it's in real life, there's like this visceral energy and feeling behind it. Like they're legitimately just so mad. And I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, you know, they see a strong woman who's not afraid to speak what's on her mind and who has a spine that they can only wish to fucking grow. And I don't know, for some reason, that just really pisses them off. You know, I see these videos on Instagram and YouTube of these obviously inflammatory, I don't even know if I want to call them reporters, but like, I don't know any of their names, but like the Steven Crowder type who go to oh, yeah. like man a on the crowd street. of people. <laughs> yeah, they'll yeah, show yeah. up and be like, uh, Wait, did you so say Billy on the street? Because I shit. fucking love like, Billy on the street. <laughs> Billy no, on the street is different. great. But what yeah, I'm anyway. thinking of is, is someone who like go to like someone who's already pissed off and be like, why are you wrong on in public though? <laughs> And That's just literally like, it. You know? It's like, you know, it's like the Ben Shapiro type person who's he's like a Woody doll that has the same six phrases yeah. and knows the answers to them before the person says them. And, and he'll like trick a hundred people into like talking to him. And then like he'll pick out all the people that tell him to fuck off. He'll like throw that out and then find like the one like vulnerable person who's just like pissed off and maybe not so smart. Who says something stupid. Maybe just not like, good in front of a camera. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, see, typical liberals. <laughs> These leftists, all their, you know, and their pink hair, they're, they're obviously all idiots. like this. Never mind yeah, that this is like one this. of a thousand people I talk to. They're all like this. God, God, I don't know where we were going with that. Sorry, I think we were just venting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to say we thrive on the tangent. But you're not doing that is what I'm saying. And, and it seems like they've got this response to you regardless. And I think it says a lot more about what they're doing than what you're doing. Oh, no, for sure. Like, I, most of the time, I'm completely silent. Like, I have this video where I was in Olympia, and I was trying to get to the group of leftists. There was a shit ton of Proud Boys and Trump supporters and people on the far right. And the second that I got there, they were following me. So I was recording the whole time, just in case. And they're like right behind me saying shit. They're like, what did they call me? They called me Jihad Press and like saying all this shit. And I'm just like behind the camera kind of giggling. And every time like I would not say anything or just kind of giggle a little bit because it was so ridiculous. They would just get so much matter. <laughs> so it's not like I'm saying anything. It's yeah, I don't know. You could just see their brains boiling behind their eyes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it sucks because I mean, it doesn't suck. They do it to themselves. But I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I look at the most fucked up, hateful person. So have you ever seen the movie Accidental Courtesy with Daryl Davis? He goes and talks to, oh, my God. I'm not, oh, my God. Jordan judging loves Daryl like, Davis. Oh, my God. It's such a. He's, he's like, oh, my God. I get to tell someone about Daryl Davis again. <laughs> oh, like, let's go. I'm almost at five on my punch card. If I get to five, I get a free Daryl Davis. Tell <laughs> 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 I me. Mean, tell me all about it. So he, over the course of like his later middle adult life, got 200 Klansmen to turn in their robes because he's a black man and most of them had never spoken to a black man before. And essentially just by reaching out and talking to them and showing them that they were wrong about what they assumed black people to be, they were like, well, I'm clearly not knowledgeable about this and I, I was wrong. 
so I try to give people that kind of benefit of the doubt. Like even the most hateful, fucked up person, I'm like, you know what? This is a trauma response to something that happened to them or perceived injustice. And I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but some of these people really test that and and don't deserve it, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, when I first started covering stuff like that, I made similar mistakes. I'm a softie. I'm a huge softie at heart. And I always try to see the best in people. And there's guys that have pulled guns on me who, when I first started this, you know, I was like, I'm going to go try talking to them with my camera. Like, why are you really here? I want to figure this out. There's some people that you just can't talk to. There's no, there's no reason to give them a platform. There's because the thing is they, the thing about the far right, which I hate to say it, but you got to give credit where credit is due. And you also have to, you have to analyze these things and, you know, just learn about these things and be aware that they're happening if you want to be able to fight back properly. And if you want to be able to kind of get a full picture of what's going on. And the thing with the far right and fascist regimes, fascist dictators in general, they tend to be really, really good at propaganda. And they take into consideration optics a lot of the time. So they always have what they're going to say memorized to a T. And something that I've witnessed from 2020 until now is they've been mobilizing the same way and they've been escalating their violence, but they keep moving the goalposts, you know? In 2020, it was about COVID. And then it was about their whole all lives matter and thin blue line, like support thin blue line movement. And then it was the whole anti-vax stuff. And then there's all the stuff with the school boards and abortions and trans rights. And it's the same people doing the same shit. They just make up different excuses of why they're out, you know? And yeah, it's really unfortunate. One of the most violent days when there was a Proud Boy rally, whatever, and there were anti-fascists that were countering it, the media was making it out as, what did they call them? Republican citizens holding a voter registration drive <laughs> when it was these Proud Boys that were armed to the teeth with melee weapons. And they had these shields that also had tasers on them. And they had baseball bats with spikes sticking out of them and all this shit. But that's really that's funny calling it a voter, voter registration drive. And I believe that they were trying to get people to register to vote. But it's like, who were they trying to get registered to vote? And this is a very, coming coming from Texas, um, which is sort of the South, there's a long history of, of, of voter suppression against minorities and doing things like making sure that the people that you don't want voting are not registered or otherwise can't reach a polling place. That's an old strategy. You know, that's not like a new fascist thing. That's, you know, people have been doing that for a long time. So were they standing outside the polling place like this? Oh, it was at a park. There was no polling anything near. Oh, and they were saying that they were doing it to get people to register yeah. to vote. Yeah, yeah. They were just like, you know, I don't know what the word is, but yeah, they were really pacifying what that event, what the nature of that event and who it was that was there. That's wild to me. That's, you know, one of those things where it's it's nice to have different perspectives on the ground showing footage for what's actually happening because a lot of people get their information from a single news source, whether it's their local news or a big station. and. They just take that for gospel because they're supposed to be able to trust the media. And I think anybody who's got access to the Internet knows that that's not true. 
It's not just, it's just not that easy. It's not that there aren't accurate news sources out there. It's just not that easy. You can't just pick one and say like, all right, this is the one that is going to lead me in the right direction anymore. A hundred percent. Yeah. Alyssa, let me ask you something too. So, you know, you talk about having like a target on your back and these people like know who you are, right? And so presumably they know where you're going to be. Do you ever get the feeling that when you're going to a protest, counter-protest situation where there's already like tension that like you being there, do you think it kind of like exacerbates those tensions or do you feel like it kind of like calms passions knowing that like somebody's going to be like watching in that way? Calms like for the Proud Boys or for other people? Either. It doesn't matter. Okay. I've honestly never really thought about that. I don't really think it makes a difference. Honestly, if anything, it, people it are just, just going to do what they're going to do. Yeah, it might, like, just change who they're singling out. But from my experience, from days I couldn't be on the ground and I was at home and consuming other people's footage and accounts on what happened that day, it's, uh, yeah, I don't think it makes a difference. I think that, yeah, it's tough because, like we were saying with the the whole Steven Crowder type person, there are these kind of pundits that go around and intentionally instigate people to where, like, the people on the other side will go around and say like, no, no, don't talk to this person. And they're clearly yeah, getting yeah. agitated that they're, that the person is trying to go around and interview, interview people and doing air quotes for people who can't see me. Well, that's different because what I was kind of wondering was like, is observing altering, you know what I mean? Like, is it altering the outcome to simply be there and observe and they know they're being observed? But then like you're saying, like those like man on the street agitators, that's like an active escalation. Exactly. Which it doesn't sound like that's what you're doing at all. Yeah. No, no, not at all. That's just, it's not really who I am. It's not my MO. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely been times where the behavior might've been different had I not been filming, especially more recently. So before Proud Boys and dudes like that, they are shit with OPSEC. They don't know what OPSEC is (laughs) and they do whatever they're going to do. But I think slowly as I think also I think J6 had a big play in it, but they started to kind of tighten up on a few things here and there. And at some of the more recent events I've been to, I have heard them say like, like not to me, but telling they always have like their own live streamers that are with them that are plugging their cash app every five minutes. (laughs) But at the more recent events, like I've definitely heard them be like, turn off the live stream or like don't show the camera, turn it around either when a fight or something is broken out or right before they assault someone or something like that. So I've seen things like that happen, but otherwise it's pretty much the same. Yeah, because for a while there, they were just, you know, like threatening the president in Facebook Messenger. (laughs) And I think a lot of them learned real quick that that wasn't a safe way to do that. Yeah. Then you had that dude that was straight out like posting on his status that he was going to come and kill the president. The dude who got raided recently, I think he died, right? But like, that's, I mean, talk about red flags. No, for real though. No, that guy was wild. I don't remember if he died incidentally or if they killed him in the raid, but yeah. I think they killed him in the, well, I think they killed him in the raid because he answered the door with a gun and tried shooting them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think they were like, (laughs) this this guy's posting inflammatory Facebook statuses, like, things. And like, normally I'm like very, I say normally, in in most situations I'm very like anti-cop, but like, you know. (sighs) Except for when they shoot people you don't like. You know, well, well, no. I mean, you know, (laughs) yes, but. (laughs) Yes, but no. it's like, you got a clear-cut situation of a guy being like a public menace and like making public threats of murder, and then you go to his house and he shoots at you when you try to like ask him if that if he's being serious. That's like yeah, in a perfect I'm not world, saying, those like, would be the crimes cops, that cops just, would prevent. 
<laughs> just like, you know, yeah, that does seem reasonable. Yeah, that's on the spectrum of like, okay, maybe uh, maybe somebody should stop this. This, this is perhaps what police might be for. Or some type of, you know, whether it's police or just a bunch of dudes and, you know, <laughs> right. like turtleneck sweaters. Yeah, so people <laughs> in situations where any yeah. kind of safety response or tactical response team exactly. would handle it in a similar situation. Alyssa, so I have a interesting question. Well, I think it's interesting because I wrote it, but... Um, (laughs) so I tell people, we say often to go outside and touch grass and it's in reference to people who spend an exorbitant amount of time on the internet and end up thinking that the world is kind of like their experience on the internet. And I find that there are a ton of people out there who, I mean, for one, either don't know our advice or don't take it because the things that they'll post online, it just tells me that they haven't spoken to a real person face-to-face in a long time. But I also see that it could possibly be a similar conundrum, if you will, hanging out in like the same friend groups, hanging out at the same kind of events, things like that. Do you find that going to these events, and I don't know how frequently you do it, but do you think that there is any way that going to these events could kind of numb you to other perspectives that might not be on the far right, but might be kind of like, like I was saying before, like kind of a useful idiot type person who, because we're always trying to reach people and trying to convince them, you know, one way or another, or to see the other perspective of things. Do you think that going to these kind of things could kind of numb you to people like that, that are somewhere in the middle? And I'm not talking about somebody holding a shield with a spiked baseball bat, for sure. you know, saying racist shit, but maybe the person on the other side of the group who's like, came with their friend and is standing in the crowd kind of thing. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that that is you, but I feel like that is like, uh, I don't know. I'm striking out on this fucking question. Do you? (laughs) I think I know what you get. You're asking like, does like always being in the middle of these like passionate protests kind of alter your perspective on people that are like just trying to like figure out what's going on while living like daily life. Dude, can I just have you ask my questions for me? (laughs) (laughs) How did you get that out in like eight words or less? (laughs) Because the whole time Andrew's called me out for this before. He's like, I know what you're doing. You're asking a question and trying to interpret how you're sounding while you're asking the question. And that's absolutely what I'm trying to I'm like, I don't want it to sound like I'm accusing her of this or like I'm saying that she's that. So I have Jordan, to figure out. Jordan, it's because I have to change my question disorder. midway. <laughs> no, I think I get what you're saying. You get what Andrew's saying because Andrew said <laughs> it in a way that was understandable. I get what Andrew's saying. I don't know what I was trying to say there. Definitely. I think anytime that you kind of put yourself in a group or a setting and you kind of stay in that zone. There's a lot of things that can happen, you know, you can get so caught up in that. You also can get very desensitized to a lot of things. A lot of things that are super not normal can become very normalized for you. I think I do a pretty good job, at least I try to, of talking to as many people as I can, of getting out as much as I can. And even me, who I think I'm a pretty self-aware person, Sometimes I'll leave town and I'll forget that not only is like the leftist scene or the radical leftist scene necessarily a small bubble, Portland is also a very small bubble. You know, every time I leave Portland, people need to remember that the whole world and society doesn't necessarily operate this way. And I think that's super important 
that people are reminded of that because how else are we going to reach other people or connect with other people, you know? And it doesn't matter. You lean to the left, you're a liberal, you're an anarchist, whatever it is that you are in your perfect world, there's never going to be a reality that exists where all of us are on the same page politically, religiously, ideologically. There's so many different things. So people do need to figure out how to work together, how to talk to other people. There's a super experienced activist that I talked to before, and I like how they put it. It's not about leftist unity, but tactical unity. At the end of the day, we're striving for better communities and whatever your community is, there's going to be so many differences, even among, let's take political groups, for example. You can have people from any political group, they believe in the exact same thing. They're still going to have differing ideologies, differing thoughts on what they think the best tactics are for organizing or for reaching other people. I do think that's a thing, maybe not generally, but 2020, for example, the protests were happening every single day. The longest streak was like 120 something days in a row. So yeah, getting caught up in that shit is super, super easy, especially when there's this like feeling that you get when you're surrounded by so many people who are fighting for the same objective, are putting their bodies on the line to fight for liberation for people. There's like a sense of like collective effervescence. And that feels great, but yeah, I think it's important to also be in touch with other parts of society and not just knowing people believe certain things, but even going as far as understanding why it is they believe the things they believe or think the way that they think. There's people that I fucking despise, but I can still kind of understand how they came to become whatever it is that they are or think or do whatever shitty human being they turned into. And also, like, when we're, like, not going all the way to talking about people that we despise, but, you know, there's people that will not go to a protest but still might support your cause, and you kind of, like, lose that. If you're not out here on the street with me, you're fucking dead to me. You might lose that, like, segment of support. Yeah, you absolutely killed that answer. That was, like, I like what you said, how you mentioned becoming desensitized to things, because I think a lot of times when people hear that term, they think, of the most extreme situations of being somebody who works in emergency services being desensitized to dead bodies or a soldier being desensitized to getting shot at or something like that. But in reality, you know, you can become desensitized to how you're treating other people. If you're constantly used to being attacked and used to being questioned and your agency being taken into question and your identity being taken into question, you can forget that some people are ignorant and some people are truly curious even and treat a person who's got good intentions the same way you would treat someone who didn't. It is really important to maintain that kind of perspective. And it sounds like you do a great job of doing that. And I think self-awareness is something that so many people lack without knowing it. And they might think that they are, but that's part of being self-aware and whatnot. But I think that's a great quality to have in a journalist. And I think you exemplify that very well. Thank you. Andrew, kind of going off of what you were saying earlier, I've seen, I've witnessed that happen so many times. Fuck, I've seen leftists get physical with people for the stupidest shit. And they're just like, bro, like, (laughs) I'm on your side. But yeah, people, 
it's unfortunate. And even if it's coming from a good place, oftentimes it does a lot of harm. There's been so many people that have been kind of pushed away. And that's unfortunate. There's a place for everybody, even if that's just a potential person that's going to let you hide in their backyard when the cops are chasing you down or whatever it is, you know, it's easy to get carried away. You were talking earlier about credit where credit's due to the far right. Something they're very good at, this might be kind of a criticism as well as giving them credit, but they really don't care about ideological purity. For a lot of them, this is a very practical matter. They will definitely form broad coalitions of people that I hate. And it's really frustrating sometimes to see their opposition just kind of fall apart under merely the pressure of having to like cooperate. 100%. It's so important. And that's another reason why I love that term. Like it's not about leftist unity, but it's about tactical unity. You think soldiers that are on the front lines and armies, you think they all believe in the same thing and agree in the same thing, whether it's religion or politics or whatever. Having that baseline is really important. Because building an army takes a lot of fucking people. Who at least have to agree on the overall goal. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that. I know this is probably the second time we've mentioned this on the show. But, you know, speaking about ideological purity, when that Arizona governor passed the law banning the uh, carry of firearms and the people who, was it Arizona? New Mexico. New Mexico. Okay. Close enough. No, very, (laughs) not close enough. It's very different states. All right. Well, I mean, you know, New Arizona. New Mexico, Zona. In New Mexico, Zona, yeah. The people who showed up to protest that were, by and large, just from the looks of it, looked to lean more to the conservative side. There were a few American flags. I didn't see any conservative flags, but there was like a Trump flag in the video. And we made a post saying, you know, this is a really good opportunity here for us to make connections with people who we might never have the opportunity to connect with because with other issues, we're on opposite sides. And by showing up and saying, like, hey, no, like, we agree with you that this law is bullshit, that shows that person or that group of people that, like, hey, we have something in common. And there was a ton of pushback on that idea because there were people who said, you know, everything from I would never talk to somebody with a Trump flag to I would never talk to somebody with an American flag to, like, I have no interest in going to these events, period. And, you know, I respect everybody's opinions there, but at some point, like you said, you've got to wonder how much harm you're doing by having that ideological purity test barricade up and only talking to people who pass it. It certainly is an issue, but, you know, I guess all we can do is continue to talk about it and hope people unfuck themselves. (laughs) Us included sometimes, you know. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. Oh, I mean, I am pretty damn close. (laughs) No, every time this comes up, I also have to, like, kind of caution people that, like, I don't mean that, you have to talk to people that you find unsafe because I definitely like, I totally get where it's like if certain kind of like heuristics, like raise red flags for you. If you feel like certain people are like dangerous, you don't have like a personal obligation to engage with those people at a very minimum. You can't like call somebody a traitor for just trying to be like, okay, I'll work with you on like this one issue. Yeah, no, the ideological purity thing has been really annoying. <laughs> it's tough because, you know, you've got, I think a lot of this stuff is engineered, to be honest. I think we constantly talk about how we're disagreeing with each other on such seemingly trivial issues. If we could all agree that a human right is a human right, it shouldn't really matter. A lot of the details are. But 
I think a lot of this stuff is kind of engineered to keep us fighting because it keeps us separated and it keeps us from really unifying to fight the problems that affect us all. And I see that people can see that on a large scale, but fail to see that on a smaller scale that affects them personally or that they might be in the middle of, whereas they're making assumptions about people and refusing to work with them because they disagree on a certain topic. Yeah, like what you were talking about, where it's like online leftists refuse to stand next to like a mainstream Republican at a pro-gun protest. And it's like, who do you imagine is going to be backing you up when you talk about gun rights? Not even a mainstream Republican, but somebody who's standing in the crowd who showed up that that person is being associated with now because... Right, right. We're not talking about necessarily like someone who's been ID'd as like a far-right chud, but just like somebody who's like, Maybe just like a normal conservative person, whatever that is, right? Presumably, anyways. And to be like, no, I will not work with these people. And it's like, okay, but if you're talking about gun rights from a leftist perspective, like there's not enough support there from your group of people to like really make an impact on national politics. If you're really interested in gun rights as a leftist, like there has to be some sort of attempt to be like, I'm okay talking to people who are maybe not anarcho-communists or like syndicalists or whatever. Or who I wouldn't grab a beer with necessarily. Yeah, right. Uh, people who I would not like personally be like, you can come into my house and meet my cat. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, but still we can go to the Capitol together and talk about gun rights. Definitely. People think it's going to be the liberals that are going to be voting for their gun rights. They're <laughs> wrongly mistaken. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. Although I do wonder sometimes, and I think I've mentioned this, I'm sure this has come up. I do wonder what would happen to mainstream Democrat politics if they literally just dropped gun control. Like if just like mainstream establishment Democrats were like, you know what, forget gun control. I really wonder like what that political shift would look like. If they gave up gun control and conservatives gave up abortion. Yes. It would really fuck things up. At that point, you can have a functioning two-party system. I don't think we are in a... <laughs> We're not in a functional place right now. No, it doesn't work at all. We are doubling down on dysfunction. For sure. Speaking of something completely unrelated, listen, this was a question that I meant to ask you earlier, but we clearly got distracted. What kind of threats do you face as like an independent journalist that you don't think, or that you think you might be protected from if you were working for like a larger company? Or like maybe not threats, but like risks. Like how do you put yourself, for example, like you get sued because somebody's on video and I don't know, you can't sue somebody for being on video. It's a First Amendment, right? I mean. You could definitely sue someone for anything and then hash out what the actual claim is in court. But civil proceedings are like that sometimes. But yeah, so it's like you don't have like a team of lawyers paid by Fox News to like answer a, a summons or a suit, right? I've been in legal trouble and I've been arrested a handful of times. I have a pretty big criminal case coming up for a day that I was reporting. Alyssa, you're a criminal? <laughs> and um, I had another case and yeah, so anything legal related or anything like that, I'm on my own to figure it out. By on my own, I just mean I don't have the backing of company lawyers or whatever. And on top of that, most of my risks and, you know, those kind of threats have been safety related to my personal being. Um, I mean, death threats, I can't count online death threats. There's just way too many of those, especially because I don't know if y'all are familiar with Andy No, but 
he mentions me very, very often, and he lies about me all the time. That guy talks a lot of shit, though. He does. He does. But I, I, get a lot <laughs> I feel of- like he's universally hated. I don't know anybody that's ever posted something good about that dude. Or maybe I'm just not following the. Well, it's because you don't hang out with rhydoids, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think I'm hanging out following those guys. <laughs> you know, every time he says something, which is very often, I get a bunch of threats, but I've had my place broken into. I've moved four times in the last two years because of my place being like doxxed and broken into. I've been assaulted countless times. One of the worst was actually, it was when I was in Olympia this last year. Yeah, when I was in Olympia last year in October, I was going to be covering something. There was like leftists that were trying to disrupt some like right wingers. I don't remember what it was going on, but it was like a noise demonstration. They were going to disrupt something. And it ended up not happening because there was a shit ton of like people on the far right, Trump supporters, Proud Boys, and other right wing militias that were there, and a lot of the people that were there were a lot of like the known violent types. So the thing didn't happen. And that day, I was in downtown Olympia, and I had some friends that were at a coffee shop, and I was trying to walk over there to meet them so I can get a ride back to Portland. And I was at a stoplight and I was waiting for the crosswalk to turn so I can cross. And the second that I took a step forward to my right, all the way on the other side of the block, there was a group of like 50 Proud Boys around there. And I just heard somebody scream, Alyssa, there she is, get her. And they all like ran towards me and I was running away as fast as I could. At that point, all I could do was run. But unfortunately, there was like three or four of them that were able to like catch up with me before the rest of the group caught up. And yeah, I had my hair pulled. I was sexually assaulted. They maced me. I got pushed down to the ground. It was horrifying. I don't know how, but I was able to get away from them. And I just ran across the street and there was like a bar right there. So I just ran into the bar and I ran, (laughs) I ran behind the bar counter I told the guy what had happened and there had been some other significant events with the same group of Proud Boys and stuff, not just Proud Boys, but other violent right-wingers too in Olympia. The staff at the bar was like super familiar and they were just like, immediately they took me to a back room and they hid me there and they had people in front of the doors because they were all trying to make their way into the bar so they can reach me. That was probably the most significant (laughs) day, the most traumatic one. That's terrifying. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah, it was really bad. Oh my God. And one of the guys in that group was live streaming. If you watch the video, you can just hear them like shouting things that they wanted done to me and just like, yeah, it was awful. But, and unfortunately that was not my first encounter with being assaulted by them or being in danger because of them. And that's probably the most notable that as well as being targeted by the cops. I was arrested in December or January, sorry. (laughs) When I got home, there was like four cop cars, undercover cop cars. The second I parked my car, all of their sirens turned on and they wouldn't tell me what I was being arrested for. They took me to a precinct before they took me to the Multnomah County Justice Center, which is where the jail was. And they still, like, would not tell me what my charges were for. They raided my house. 
So when I finally found out what it was for, it was for like, there was this day where there was a street preacher, like the super transphobic street preacher that I forget his name. He's like well known with like activists and stuff here. And there was going to be like a counter to that. And I went to go see what was going on. It wasn't really much of an event, but there was like barely anybody there. But at the end, like a fight broke out and some stuff happened. And I was there as myself just so I can cover what was going on. And they ended up putting seven felony charges on me for that day. And even like the discovery files, it even said like, oh, this person wearing like either black clothing or this person that we couldn't identify. So it even said in the police report that like... So they just put them on you? They put it all on me, yeah. So that was a very clear targeting. I think they just wanted... Trying to intimidate you from like covering future. To intimidate me, to punish me, an excuse to go through my stuff. And I think that kind of targeting from law enforcement would probably be a lot less if it wasn't. Just cop things. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys remember that time that... I don't remember what network this was, but there were some reporter was accosted by like a right wing dude and he pulled out some mace. And then the reporter's bodyguard, who was retained by the Pinkerton Detective Agency, fucking killed the guy. What? What? Yeah. Sometimes I think about like the risks that independent journalists take. And then I think about that, that like somebody got fucking shot in the street for trying to mace up for like a mainstream reporter. <laughs> And I'm just like, these are two different worlds, man. Yeah, that's wild. I don't know why I've never heard of that. Yeah, same. Was that like recent? No, this was during like the George Floyd protests. I'll pull up a link. I may be remembering some details wrong. That's but, wild. Wow. I didn't even know that Pinkertons were still around. It sounds like they should be robbing trains. <laughs> They're still here. They don't do strike breaking anymore, but they do private detective and security stuff. Yeah, they own Securitas. No, no, I'm sorry. They own Dunbar. Who are the Pinkertons? I don't think I'm familiar. So Pinkerton Detective Agency has a really long history of like private security and paramilitary stuff in America going back as far as like the expansion into the Old West. Weren't they the private security company that was hired to break up the strike at Blair Mountain? I'm getting there. Oh, fuck you. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm going to, I didn't mean to be so offensive there. <laughs> you know, they always did private detective stuff. They also did armed security for like stagecoaches that were transporting like money and, and like sometimes like sensitive mail. As America really industrialized, they made a lot of money with what was called strike breaking where there would be like a strike at a company and they'd hire detectives, quote unquote, to just go in there with baseball bats and beat the shit out of them until they got back to work. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually somebody was like, hey, you can't do that. And, you know, strike breaking was made somewhat illegal. They're not the same company they used to be, but they still do private security. It's still the same lineage. It's not like just the name. It is the same company. The more you know. That's a nice fun fact. You never got to the Blair Mountain part, Andrew. I'm glad I said it. Yeah, yeah. They, and there were picking and strike breakers that attempted to break the strike at Blair Mountain. But guess what? They had guns. Yeah, they got lit the fuck up. <laughs> they still won, unfortunately, but... Yeah, well... Anyway, not in the long run. Well, Alyssa, I think that's pretty much covers a lot of the stuff that we were going to talk about. No, wrong. I have more questions. <laughs> Do you have more questions? I did want to know, so as an independent journalist, really kind of like hard-changing subject here, we touched on earlier about how like 
Hunter S. Thompson's career as a gonzo journalist would have gone a lot differently with social media. But right now, we're also seeing kind of like a shift in the social media landscape. I know you're on Blue Sky and Mastodon and stuff like that. Those are websites that I'm not familiar with. But for you, for your content and what you do, where do you find like the most engagement? What gets you the most traction? Twitter used to be it for me. And it might also still (laughs) be it, but I've just been finding myself posting less on Twitter. And it is still called Twitter. We're still calling it Twitter. Yeah, I refuse to call it whatever the (laughs) name that is. We dead name Twitter in this household. (laughs) (laughs) All my homies say Twitter. It's become unusable for me. It's just way too much. Comments by like assholes and trolls usually don't phase me. I'm very fast with the block button or I just ignore or I also just simply don't reach it, especially on Twitter. I usually post and get off. But that sucks because I love engaging with people who support my work. I love seeing what they have to say and talking with them and stuff. So I guess lately I've been using Instagram the most, which also isn't great because I get so much suppression on Instagram until something in the Fediverse takes off, if it takes off. I guess just got to keep trying on those platforms. (laughs) Got to keep up the grind. Isn't that so gonzo, though, is trying to get your story out in a hostile media landscape. (laughs) That's what Thompson did. That's what he tried to do anyways. Yeah, he's so cool. He's amazing. I keep forgetting he's still alive. Is he? No, he's not. No, No, he's not. He died. died (laughs) Clearly, I forget. Clearly. (laughs) I forget he's alive. No, he died. No. Sorry, buddy. No, it was very sad when he died, though. I was very sad. Yeah, too. Fear and loathing in Portland. Alyssa, we usually end this episode. All right, Andrew, do you have any more questions? No, that was it. Thank you. I'm trying to let her continue on with her life. (laughs) 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 You've still got some time before tomorrow. You're in a different time zone. Yeah, it's 10 o'clock for me. It's Saturday for me. I was about to light you up for such a stupid comment. (laughs) <laughs> but I forgot that she was in a different time zone than both of us. <laughs> Nerd. Andrew, I feel so bad, like, even pretending to be mean to you. <laughs> I, like, I just said that. I was like, it wasn't stupid in my head. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> you, like, feel bad joking, think that- and I'm like, ah, stupid nerd. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> it's so funny. That's how I know I've got this level of, like, uh, I would say camaraderie with my friends where the ones who are, like, actually, I don't know. It depends on the circle. Like, you and I have never really been the ball-busting type. So, like, we don't do it. We compliment. We'll get off this episode and he'll message me and be like, dude, we killed it. You were great. That was awesome. And I'll be like, bro, you were fucking great. Good questions. <laughs> and like, we're just overly supportive of one another. <laughs> oh, I love that for you guys. That's amazing. That's how it should be. It's pretty funny. You got a pretty good uh, professional relationship here. Professional? You like that? That was good. I like that. I'll make that into a shirt. Anyway. Alyssa, we have a tradition on the show where we like to ask our guests if you had a piece of advice to leave our listeners with. It doesn't have to be related to anything we talked about. I'd say it doesn't have to be gun-related, but we didn't talk about guns at all on this episode. So, of course, it doesn't have to be gun-related. Just anything, little knowledge, quality of life, anything people are sleeping on that you just want people to know right here at the end. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but critical thinking is so fucking important. Doesn't matter what you believe in, who you are, just think critically about things. It's so important to understand things and, you know, to fight for whatever it is you want to fight for. It's important to understand 
the how, the why, the who, all of it. Another thing that I've been trying to remind myself of is our intuitions and our guts are there for a reason. And I don't know, I try to listen to my gut and my instincts as much as I can. My intuition is usually right about things. And um, I don't know. (laughs) This is one of those questions where the second that we end this, I'm going to be what I should have said. <laughs> well, that was like our friend Eddie when we were finishing up. He was like, drink more water. And then like, which I totally respect. Like we don't drink enough water. I don't drink enough water. But then after we were done, he was like, what was that? Why did I say that? I could have said anything else. <laughs> no, water is important. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. What is important? Drink water. <laughs> yeah. I think critical thinking is so important, especially we're living in a time where Technology is so advanced. Surveillance is so advanced. Counterinsurgency and counterintelligence. Disinformation. Yes, yes. Misinformation. The intentional spread of it. We're just surrounded by so many things that want us to question ourselves instead of questioning authority. The amount of times that I've been talking to someone that I like usually otherwise respect, and then they say something that is like, obviously such horse shit that they've just like swallowed hook, line, and sinker. It's just been very frustrating, especially recently. There's a lot of like derangement around like Trump and Biden especially. So you'll see people in like opposing camps will just believe the wildest shit that they read on the internet from like a white text meme. 100%. Do do you remember in 2020 during the wildfires when that became politicized and they thought it was like Antifa? Yes, I do remember that. (laughs) And there was like reports of Antifa with matches on the corner of so-and-so, you know, and people would like run out there with like guns, be like, stop lighting my city's on fire. Yeah, I was actually one of the journalists that got held up at gunpoint for covering wildfires. You go to cover the wildfires and people show up and they're like, stop lighting fires. I don't know if you've seen those signs, but we have them in the Pacific Northwest. It's like a sign that goes from green to yellow to red and the arrow will be in like whatever color and it says like fire danger or something like that and the sign was like all the way in the red so I was crouched down in the ground trying to take a photo of it and I felt something and I thought I heard something and I like turned my head and I just there's these three dudes two of them have ARs and one of them has a pistol on his hip And it was the most bizarre thing that caught me off guard. They literally thought that me and my two colleagues were there to... (laughs) Did they apologize? No. Because they're not critical thinkers, Jordan. Yeah, they pointed the guns at us and two were pointing guns at us. And one of them was like taking pictures of our faces and the car's license plate and were yelling at us until we got out of there. The misinformation and stuff is actually insane. And it's we're seeing like real life ramifications. Yeah, well, that's the crazy shit. Like, you know, you've got people uh, look at perfect example. I know we didn't talk about this at all, really, but the Israel-Palestine protests that are going on right now. Oh, yeah. How did we just gloss over that? Like, the thing that's literally the biggest event of the current times right now, we didn't talk about at all. But, like, it's been a really unique experience for me because my I have a family member who is extremely prideful in being Jewish. Like, I was raised Jewish. I'm not religious, but He's very prideful in being a Jew. He lived in Israel for a year on a kibbutz, but he's not religious either. I would say he's very closed off to 
any type of productive conversation about this situation. Like growing up, this guy was like Palestinians, like we didn't be wiped off the earth kind of thing. Like, cause they're just attacking Israelis constantly. But like, that was his perspective. Like he was like Hamas this and that. And he never really thought of why he, the why was never a question that he asked. And um, I've watched him kind of go and be this like micro example of what's going on on a national level. And and, like, I mean, globally, really, but like specifically in our cities and these protests where you've got pro-Israel people and pro-Palestine people fighting. And I think a lot of the people are just not understanding each other. We've had this conversation in regards to abortion before. I think the abortion debate is inherently flawed because they're arguing about two different things, thinking they're arguing about the same thing. One person is saying that you have the right to choose because it's your body. And the other person is saying that you're murdering a person and that it's not your body. Like they're not acknowledging the same facts. One person saying the sky is blue and the other person saying the grass is green. Like both can be right, but it doesn't make sense. And I think a lot of these people are conflating the current issue with like, sure, there are people who Westerners who support Hamas. And, like, you're going to have that. You're going to have people who support the IDF and all the crazy shit that they've done, shooting kids in the face and kidnapping people as political prisoners with no trial dates and things like that. You're going to have people that are totally okay with that because they hate Palestinians. But I do think that there's also a ton of people there that are like, hey, can we acknowledge the fucked up shit Israel did to Palestine over the years and also acknowledge the fucked up shit Hamas has done and maybe just, like, Understand that there are innocent Palestinians and innocent Israelis that are just kind of caught up in the mix. And there's no conversations like that really happening out there. People will say innocent Israeli is like a oxymoron because of colonizers and things like that. But this is such a fun conversation to just begin right at the end. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Join us in part two when we get into this conversation. But, you know, I see that kind of stuff. And these people are just arguing and fighting each other in the streets and not fixing any problems. You know what would help them? Critical thinking. Boom, end podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing end. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. This was a ton of fun. We've had a couple people on, yourself included, who people have brought to us and been like, hey, you should have this person on. And up until a few weeks ago, I don't think we followed each other on Instagram. And then following you, I was like, oh, shit, yeah, we have to have her on. I'm really glad we did because I think people are going to love hearing about you and, and what you do. Hopefully it somehow inspires some people to go out there and do the stuff on their own and we get you to be more easily replaced. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) You like that? I brought it back. (laughs) Brought it back to the beginning. Almost like I know what I'm doing. Almost. (laughs) This has been really fun. Thank you so much. It's been great. and It's been an honor being on with you all. Ah, geez. Super sweet. Ah, shucks. I've been numbing my consonants because my daughter is learning to talk and she says words wrong. And I've been saying those words like she says those words. Uh, (laughs) No, you have to say them right to model. Dude, it's so, so she knows how to cheers. Like she can cheers your glass, but she says C-H-Z. That's how she says it. She goes, (laughs) so I've been saying that, like, I've just been kind of, it started as a joke and now I just say just to my wife, like when we've got drinks and it's love that for you. Yeah, it's pretty great. Anyway, I really miss the ways that my son would mispronounce words. We started him with a uh, sign language too. So he would do, you know, like how like kids like mispronounce stuff. 
Yeah, he would do like a funny little unique play on the actual sign. And so sometimes when I'm like doing a sign with someone that knows ASL, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) That's not a, oh, sorry. As he's like learned to talk and moving away from sign language and like pronouncing things correctly, I really miss the like weird little slang that we had together. No, so precious. That makes me sad. It's so brief. Anyway, on that note, this is a <laughs> yeah. riveting finale, riveting ending to this podcast. I feel like we had like a good ending. It's like the Lord what? of the Rings. We should have ended it like six times. I know. Alyssa, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. You're totally good. This is great. I wish I could give you back the last five minutes, but those are gone. <laughs> those are lost in the ether forever. You're never getting those back. I only hope that your regret for coming on this podcast is less than your resentfulness <laughs> for us. Anyway, Jesus Christ. It's late. It's like quarter after one here in the morning. So I'm I'm blaming that. This episode brought to you by Caffeine Dependency. Thank you, Panther City Tactical, for sponsoring this episode. Go to them, buy your AR parts, gear, all that stuff. If you're listening and you're gonna go buy from Panther City Tactical, make sure that in the order notes you make an extremely specific request for something for him to draw on the box. He will do it. He has to do it. He has to do it. He's legally required to do it when you ask him. <laughs> and you can post it on your social media, tag him, and he'll repost it and everybody will think it's funny. That's so cool. I love that. I actually love that. <laughs> Buy like the smallest thing from him and have him draw this super elaborate drawing. Don't do that guys. <laughs> he's a great he guy. Actually, he's actually so bad that I tell people to do this. Because <laughs> he did it for <laughs> me like twice and now like other people are like sending requests and he's like I cannot. The pictures are genuinely disturbing. <laughs> like they're unnerving to look at. It's almost like an uncanny valley type situation but on a cardboard box. Do I still have it? <laughs> Nobody's gonna see it Andrew. Alyssa has to go. Her dog is telling her to leave. Alyssa, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're not just hanging out. This is... She texted her dog on her cell phone to like, get me out of here. Please put your face in the camera right now. I need to leave. I, I sometimes forget that we're not just like buds hanging out. This is like a show that we're doing. It shows. <laughs> what are you reaching for? Me? Yeah. I was just scratching my ankle. Oh, my God. We were waiting for you. I thought you were pulling up the box. No, I can't find it. Oh, my God. All right, Alyssa, just go. (laughs) No, no. Thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. 